product market fit is not a single point in time. It's a continuum. It's basically like the optimal path that you're choosing. Welcome back to the Build Podcast. I'm Blake Bartlett, a partner at OpenView. The world of SaaS is always evolving, and we're here to help you adapt, compete, and win with your startup. The Build Podcast brings you stories and insights from my conversations with the most successful people in SaaS. In today's episode, I chat with Hubert Pallon, founder and CEO of Product Board. Product Board is a customer-centric product management platform. Everyone today talks about being customer-centric, but Hubert actually walks the walk and has dedicated his entire company to the endeavor. Hubert shows us how to make customer empathy a team sport by framing company objectives around customer problems rather than a brilliant founder's own intuition. All that and more on this episode of Build. So let's dive in with Hubert Pallon. Hubert, thank you so much for joining us here on the Build Podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. So the goal for today is to talk about what do product teams build next? How do they make that decision? Which sounds easy, just build what's on the product roadmap. That tells you what to do next. But how does something get on the product roadmap? There are a lot of paths to the roadmap. And so we're going to be talking about that. Now, the first thing on that journey is to talk about the role of founders. So you've said that brilliant founders are overrated. What do you mean by that? Yeah, surprising, huh? Everything is about the founders and the special snowflakes. What I mean by that, that obviously you you want brilliance in any person in any role, right? So that's given. But oftentimes people think of founders as the unique individuality that has the deep customer insight and is just going to make a lot of the decisions and is going to you know, unite everybody in the company and march the, the one direction. But what turns out to be much more important is to teach everybody else at the company how to find the next big insight and how kind of, you know, if the proverbial founder struck the goal or struck the proverbial goal for the, the, the first time, how do you teach everybody else who joins the company to also search for gold and not just to dig and follow the guidance and follow the, the advice? And so that's what's important, that the brilliancy needs to be not in the being founder, but in being able to scale what you know and teach people how you came up with the idea and really it's about scaling the understanding of the customers, their needs, their pain points, their jobs to be done, their use cases, however you want to call it. So that's at the core of it. I think you said it really well. You need to find how do other people in the company find the next brilliant insight? How do you not have you know this bottleneck being created where the only person that's allowed to be brilliant in the startup is the founder? And if it didn't come from the founder, then you know it's not a good idea because that culture develops a lot of times. And so it sounds like the goal is to both figure out a way to scale and kind of transfer that ability to the rest of your team. And then the second step is get out of the way and let others execute because that's the goal. Yeah, look, obviously you want to be involved, right? Like you have by definition the longest context and the deepest context because you've been around the longest. And that's how the world works. Experience matters. And, you know, a lot of the times the intuitive decisions are the right decisions, but they need to be informed by the internalized experience. That's the right intuition, right? Internalized experience. And so you need to figure out how to expose everybody at the company, you know, everybody on your team 
to the same market signals and to the same insights directly from the customers, looking at the competitors, just observing the market around you so that they develop the same intuition so that they can make decisions, right? They can, because the slowest way how to build products is to go, surprisingly, is to go and test everything with the customers. Because the fastest feedback loop is if you can make the decision within your own brain, right? Like, hey, I got an idea. It seems like there's a problem. Oh, let me figure out if I can figure out a solution. And is it the right one? And you're kind of like iterating in your head. That's the fastest, right? Obviously, you're not always right. You don't understand what the customers would say. So you need to get out. But it's if you go out for everything, if you have no experience, if you're not continuously observing the market, if you haven't taught everybody else how to do it, you know, it, it's slow. As you know, in business, in startups, in life, the speed is critical. And more, more these days than, than before. So Again, it comes down to your ability to get everybody on the same page and have them understand the customer needs in the first place themselves. Well, it's, it's the classic advice that uh, you're successful based off of the speed and quality of your decision making. And I think it's easy to solve for one versus the other at the expense of the other. And what we're saying here is that you need to be fast, but you need to be right. And the best way to do that is through ultimately becoming customer centric and letting that guide the next brilliant insight. Anybody can be customer-centric. Anybody through customer centricity can have the next brilliant insight. Doesn't just have to be the founder. That's how you scale it out. But this leads us to our next challenge. It's easier to say that you're customer-centric than to actually be customer-centric. So what does this look like in practice? How do you not just make it a tagline, but how do you make it a way of working? Right. So... You know, uh, you hear probably people a lot of times saying, oh, yeah, we are customer centric. We do a lot of user research and we talk to the customers all the time. But that's obviously important. You need to talk to customers. But more importantly, you need to listen and you need to understand what is really the need. And a lot of people just talk and they don't listen. So I would you know, mention that in the first place. So like the first aspect of being really customer centric is to gain a really deep user insight. And that means that, you know, it's not just doing user research and kind of buy the book, go and talk to customers. It means to develop empathy. It needs to have real genuine curiosity. It means to make a habit of interacting with the customers and really kind of almost think of it as if you were to measure like the customer engagement index, right? Like, you know, how frequently and, and on what level you're interacting with the market and with the customers out there. Are you observing the people in their quote unquote, natural habitat, you know, or like, are you just listening to things that are through a middle person there? And so that deep customer insight is foundational. Then, and we can talk more about it, there's a lot to discuss, right? And again, it goes beyond just like do user research. But then the second key piece here is that you need to turn that understanding of the customers into a structured understanding of the segmentation of the market. And you need to implement and include that in how you define your company strategy and then product strategy, which means, okay, so you understand now that there are some specific needs that the different customer segments have. So think of them as, okay, segment one, you know, put them in a row in a simple matrix and you need to think about, okay, where I'm going to start segment one and which customer pain points am I going to satisfy? And then where I'm going to go, am I going to satisfy next customer pain points of the same segment, or am I going to satisfy a pain point of the next, you know, different segment? Now, like to give you an example, right? Like we're all product people here, like, you know, kind of maybe. And so the needs of product managers differ if it's a B2B versus B2C. 
it differs if you're a digital first company or if you're a digital transformation company. It might differ by industry. It might be, differ by seniority. It might differ by geography, right? It might differ by, have you been exposed to lean startup and customer-centric mindset or not? Are you coming from the kind of the old school engineering first approach, you know? And so that's what I'm talking about when I talk about segments. You know, frequently people probably hear about personas and in the product world, we are used to that, right? Okay, what's the user and, you know, is it the administrator or editor and so on? That's important as well. But what I'm describing here is more the segmentation on the, almost like the business segmentation, you know, which customer segment you're after. And that needs to be the foundation of the customer, you know, the customer understanding, but the foundation of the company strategy and product strategy. And every objective that you have at the company or specifically for product strategy needs to be framed around the segment and the pain point that you're solving. And that evolves over time. And so this is critical. And, you know, I don't know about you, but when I talk to so many, we have 4,500 companies as customers, very rarely there's clarity around the customer segment that the company's after and the set of pain points that they're solving at that given point in time. And even less frequently, there's an understanding of what are the segments that we said no to and that we're not focused on right now? Or the pain points that maybe one day in the future we're going to expand there, but we strategically and intentionally decided that it's going to come later, that it's not you know, the current focus. And so that's you know, the, the second piece, I would say. So first is the gain deep insight. Second is the incorporated into your company and product strategy. And third is invest into customers and get them invested into your product. Close the feedback loop, create a community, turn them into your fans, you know, like really engage them again on a very frequent level, but you know, with the right frequency, right? You don't want input for everything. You will engage the right customers. You talk to prospects, you talk to non-customers, you know, and all of that and create an engagement. So these three things are critical to understand that customer centricity is not just, oh yeah, we talk to customers here and there and do user research. That first piece You had me at that part where it was not just talking to customers, but listening to them. It's very easy to make those two things interchangeable, and they're not. It is very easy to go through the motions and say, I'm doing user research. Look at me. I have the 30 minutes on my calendar. I have an agenda, and I talk to them. But did you do all the talking, or did you do all of the listening? Because there's a big difference there. Just doing the motions, just having the call doesn't make you customer centric. And so first step, get on, listen to the customer. What kinds of things are you, I mean, what are you listening for? What are you looking for in those types of sessions? How do you actually hear your customer and not just go through the motions? Right. It's like, how do you become a good listener and practice active listening? And you know, it's, it's like in life, right? Like, how do you become a good partner to your spouse? It's obviously skills that you need to work on. And, you know, I don't want to go into the techniques of user research and so on. There's, there's a lot of thinking about it. I want to tie it to the second point about the segmentation. And that is, I listen and I look for attributes that help me understand whether it's a unique thing or whether it's a repetitive thing. And whether that, you know, whatever the person's saying, whether it's a representation of a bigger, broader segment and opportunity, or if it's an isolated thing. And I feel like that's frequently where people fail because, you know, there's this thing that if you do five, six user research conversations, that patterns start to emerge and, you know, it's enough. And that's true. That's true for user testing. But it's not true for understanding the market at scale. It's like if you wanted to do polls for, you know, elections and you would talk to just 
this, you know, six people. You need to develop a more like statistically significant understanding of the market, right? Which means that you need to look for the patterns and capture those patterns and then share that understanding with everybody at the company because otherwise these are anecdotal things and it's kind of questionable whether you just really talk to somebody who represents the ideal target segment that you're after or not. And then you end up in this, you know, sales talks to prospects, customer success talking to customers, you product manager are talking, you know, to everybody or trying to figure it out, but then marketing's telling you what the competition's doing. And so the patterns are important. The segments, the criteria, the attributes that are similar across all the different groups. So focus on that. Yeah, I really like this kind of redefinition of a segment because I do think that it's very easy. You mentioned that it's easy to confuse segments and personas, and, and I agree. It's also easy to just use generic segments, you know, mm-hmm. enterprise segment, mid-market segment, SMB segment, and then try to force fit everything you hear into those yeah. segments or industry segments, financial services, manufacturing. And those might be correct, but they also might not be correct. And so instead of just trying to fit somebody into a pre-existing bucket, take a step back and say, what are the common patterns that I'm hearing? And start there. This is hard, right? Like the reason why we use company size, number of employees or industry is because these are the attributes that are available in all the databases, right? We can enrich your customers or prospects, you know, with Clearbit, you get all this data. They don't have in the databases what I mentioned, you know, whether you're undergoing digital transformation or not, or whether you're, you know, lean customer centric type or you understand design practice, like that's not part of it. That's why it's hard. And that's why we use these as approximations, right? We use the whatever industry as an approximation, but like your job as a product manager is to really uncover what's down there behaviorally and understand the segments based on that way. Like, you know, I gave you the example of Tesla as an electric car and, you know, it's not just age and, you know, willingness to pay or how much budget people have when they decide along the product line of Tesla. It's what is it trying to do? Are you, you know, speed aficionado junkie and you're really interested in impressing your friends that you have a roadster? Or like, are you, you know, family with kids who need to have really big trunk? And that's a different need fundamentally, right? But again, like, you know, it's the correlation between the descriptors that are available out there and what is it that you're trying to get done might be different. And, you know, you need to figure it out. I also really like this idea that, you know, when you identify the segments and then you hear through your active listening, you hear what their pain points are, that this kind of creates a bit of a matrix. And then when you start to populate the matrix, it starts to turn into a chessboard. And so, and that becomes your product roadmap. It's not this singular thing. The only thing I can do is go from point A to point B to point C, and that's the only way I can prioritize. You kind of now have optionality. And I like the way you described it, which is, okay, we shipped this feature, so now decision time. Do I want to do something and go deeper for the same segment? Or do I want to go focus on a different segment? Do I want to focus on a different pain point? And it creates that optionality based off of your continuous listening to customers, you can make the right next decision, not, you know, just the decision I made six months ago when I built this roadmap. Yeah. I mean, this is where, you know, we're on a podcast, right? It's difficult to visualize it, but regularly, as you're you're mentioning, it's a matrix, it's it's a checkboard. And so think of it almost as you say, okay, I'm starting in, you know, A1 and then I'm going to whatever, you know, A2, and then I'm going to go to C3. And, you know, and that's how you need to think strategically 
when you're putting together your strategy. And you need to consider the size of the segment, how painful that pain point is, right? Or the, the problem that people have. You need to consider the willingness to pay. It was like, you know, the business size of that opportunity. So, you know, it's it would almost be like a chessboard with different square sizes, you know? It's obviously then where the, that's where the analogy breaks. But that, I mean, the world is complex, right? But it's amazing what happens when people share this understanding. You know, when they see not just what is on the roadmap, like, because these are kind of like the highlighted pieces, right, in the matrix, but also what you're leaving behind. And you're actively saying, hey, we're not going to go here. We know that there's a segment. We know that there's a prospect in the pipeline. We know that they're asking, you know, that they would pay a lot of money. But we also know that it's not the segment because we see a bigger opportunity, the ideal segment, because we see a bigger opportunity elsewhere. Uh, suddenly, you know, people kind of get it. So that's an interesting thing about roadmaps, by the way. What is on the roadmap? is as important as what is not on the road, my board was left out. And that conversation frequently doesn't happen. That conversation is, you know, oh yeah, let's build this and so on. And like, yeah, we figure it out and we looked ourselves in the room and this is what the outcome is, right? But like that context, why something and why something isn't there is critical. Okay, so this is all about how do you decide what to build next? Then you ship the thing and you need to understand, okay, did we hit the mark or not? And obviously the, the most fundamental end of the day, like litmus test for this is product market fit for your entire product, or you could think about it for an individual feature. So how does this concept of customer centricity and the matrix that we talked about and some of these things, how does this translate to product market fit? Yeah, that's the thing that product market fit is not a single point in time. It's a continuum. It's basically like the optimal path that you're choosing just like what we just talked about the chessboard, right? Like what is the sequence at which you're going to go from A to C3 and so on and so on. That's what you need to make sure. So the, the product market fit, it's almost like the the way that you, you need to stay on the path, right? If you step left or right, you're going to fall off a cliff. And that's important. And that's why when you ask me, that's the first question, like the, the founder insight and you know, how that's overrated. Well, that's exactly why. Because... The founders started and maybe they set on the right, you know, the, the right direction, but then the whole path needs to be discovered and you need to train the team and you need to stay on that path. And so that the, the product market fit, think of it as a continuum. And every time you're making the next decision, you need to think about, well, is it the best, next best thing for me to build? Because the market is going to be pulling you zillion different ways. There's going to be people who will try to, you know, use your product for something completely different and you're trying to build a business software and they're going to pull you into a retail space, consumer software. And like, you know, you need to have that the strategy needs to be guiding you, right? If there's a new cluster, a new segment appears, new pain points, like you need to be able to say, oh, okay, interesting, interesting. There's a new opportunity that we didn't know about, but does it mean that we're changing our strategy or not? Right? And so it's kind of, you know, the example is, when was the time when Salesforce decided to go from sales use cases to marketing and then from marketing to support or you know from the data cloud and so on? It's not random. It's a very deliberate thinking. It's just like, how well did you satisfy the needs of the particular segments that you focused on and the pain points? Are you entrenched there? Can you defend it competitively? Do you have big enough differentiation? What's the gravity at which the other use cases, you know, or like other companies are pulling your users away and do you need to go there and kind of, you know, build your own product and plan it to stop that leak to the, to the different company? Like all of that is in play. So simple, you know, product market fit might not be as simple. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think it's easy for for founders and for anybody to think about product market fit as a one-time thing. You, you described it as a point in time, but it's it's also easy to think about it as a gate. You go mm. through the gate one time. Once you've gone through the gate, you never have to think about it again. Congratulations, you have arrived at product market fit. And that's not how it works, right? No, no, no. Yeah. It's also the topic that sometimes comes up like, is this a product or is it a feature? You know, when you have a startup, basically what you're trying to say is that if you're saying it's a feature, it's because the segment and the pain point might not be big enough to sustain itself as an independent viable business, right? And that there's really a you know, stronger adjacent use case and bigger segment that this thing that you just discovered should be part of. And if you don't move there fast enough, well, somebody else will. And eventually the gravity will pull you in or like pull your customers you know, away from your little feature and you're toast. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, so to wrap up here on customer centricity, deciding what to build next. So say you get all that stuff down, but then you still have this open question of, okay, well, is this just really a product team thing or does this have a bigger, broader reaching impact? And so what's your view of the impact of this conversation and what we're talking about on things like go-to-market? Well, it's the thing that it isn't, obviously. I mean, I don't know if it's obvious, but you know, most companies, unfortunately, don't operate like that. But you hear a lot about ideal customer profile on the sales side or on the marketing side, but it's somehow it breaks between go-to-market and between the R&D, you know, product EPD, product engineering design organization. There's some, the personas appear and so on, but like that broader segmentation is kind of not that present. And so that's, that's fundamental that what we're describing, the understanding of the segments and the pain points really permeates throughout the company and that everybody at the company, whether it's sales, marketing, customer success, support, engineering, products, you know, product marketing, like all of these functions, understand the segmentation in the same way. Because inevitably, these people throughout the kind of customer journey, you know, with your company, through like a customer experience map, they will face... Uh, consequences of the decisions that these different departments made. And if the different departments understand the ideal customer profile differently, or if they use different messaging that doesn't address the pain points, well, the experience is not going to be consistent. It, it's not going to be great. It's not going to be excellent experience, right? And so there you go. That's why it's important to have this unification. I remember I had this mentor who was a, in the early Apple days, a QA engineer. And he said that, you know, typical QA departments, quality assurance engineer, that typically the charter is, okay, here's a spec, make sure that it's built to spec. And he said, no, our charter wasn't that. Our charter was, would customer use it and be satisfied with that outcome? Which is a subtle difference, but suddenly the quality assurance engineer is empowered to make the decision, well, maybe it's built to the spec, but the spec is incorrect and people would never use it that way. And so there you go. Again, that means that if you make the right decision, you need to understand the segmentation, you need to understand the pain points, right? So that you can make the right decision whether people would really use it and enjoy it across the whole company. The consistency, which again, yeah. sounds so obvious, but then when you're in practice, it's so hard. And, and I, you described it really well. You know, we, we think about personas when we're building product, and then we think about ICPs and personas when we're doing distribution. And it's amazing how sometimes those don't overlap and there yeah. isn't consistency, yeah. or maybe you didn't get specific enough to realize that there was misalignment, you know, realizing we're building a, a sales product and one side is building for the sales rep, but then the sellers or the distribution is trying to sell to sales management, to the VP of sales. 
they think about things very differently. You built a product and you're trying to sell it to a different persona. And so you need to get specific and you need to make sure that there's consistency. And, you know, it, again, it's, it does not sound like rocket science, but if you build the wrong thing because you weren't customer centric, then it's going to make go to market harder. Either you won't be able to sell the thing because you're selling the wrong thing and the market wants something that you don't have, or say you have the best marketing in the world and the best sellers in the world, it's going to bite you on the back end because, you know, you didn't build the right thing, even though they signed the contract. They never got off the ground. It didn't deliver any value. It's going to lead to churn. And so or you're just going to be slow. Even exactly. if you do it, you're just going to do it too slow because the alignment is going to be difficult and, you know, miscommunication and so on. And that's the second piece. Get it right. Get it fast. It's back to the beginning part of success is all about the speed and quality of your decisions. Yeah. And this idea of customer centricity through a repeatable framework enables both of those things. And it doesn't just affect the product, it affects the entirety of the business. So in closing, I think this is a great place to leave it, Hubert. Thank you so much for taking the time with us here today on the Build Podcast. This was wonderful, Blake. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Build. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And subscribe to stay up to date with all the new episodes. Want more insights from OpenView? Follow me, Blake Bartlett, on LinkedIn for daily PLG content. And head to our website to sign up for our weekly newsletter.